51,000 plus on their feet. Nobody's left to beat the traffic tonight, I guarantee you. Mark gets the sign. The wind and the pitch. Here it is. Swan. Fly ball deep left center. Grissom on the run. Yes! 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 Sombrero Podcast with your hosts, Dylan Short and Adam Doc Herbert. Hello, everybody. I am very pleased to welcome you in to a brand new experience here at Braves Country. Doc, would you like to welcome our new fan base to what is undoubtedly the best and most obscure name for a baseball podcast ladies and gentlemen welcome to the platinum sombrero uh 10 points and bragging rights to the first person that actually gets what that is correctly uh as you heard that's doc herbert dylan short over here you know us from the twitters you might know me from shell shocked as well what we decided to do is form a super group and basically take over this entire Braves podcast scene, and I hope you take this journey with us. We're going to be on every platform. Um, you're still going to be able to hear all your favorite guys, of course. A little bit later tonight, we've got a really fun first interview. We're going to bring in Gabe Burns from the AJC, the super stud young writer. Uh, going to talk some Braves with us. Very excited about that. Before we get everything going, I think it is time to do a little bit of intros. So let's start with you, Doc. When did you become the super fan that you are now? I've always been just a, a huge, huge baseball fan. My earliest uh, earliest memory uh, of baseball started in probably 1987. My uh, grandfather and I used to watch Cubs games on WGN in rural North Carolina and uh, in the afternoons, and then we would watch Braves games at night on TBS. Um, my fandom just kind of continued as much as it can when you're five, six, seven years old. Um, moved to Atlanta when uh, in 1992, so I moved here right when the Braves started to get really, really good and start rattling off uh, division championships and eventually the World Series. And within the last couple of years, 
I have really kind of ratcheted up my fandom. I think being on Twitter has been um, been really instrumental in that. Having uh, similar-minded fans to nerd out with on everything from <laughs> <laughs> that's very from, true. You know, it's uh, I can talk to my wife about it all day long, but there's only so much that she wants to hear about Max Fried's arsenal. So at least yours and, doesn't just tell you to shut up or says ah, I don't care. Mine will just uh, walk out the room. You know, uh, mine mine actually retains a lot of information. She su- she surprises me sometimes with with uh, the things that she retains and will will spit back to me at the right time. So at least Sarah's honest with me. It's not I don't I don't get five minutes into a baseball conversation. She's like, okay. I'm not listening. So, oh, okay. I'll just keep talking <laughs> yeah. if you don't mind. Now, my uh, my wife Valerie is a, is a really good sport, and uh, you know, I th- I think that she likes it more than she than she occasionally lets on. I think deep down she is uh, she's really pulling for free to get that fifth spot in the rotation. This I year. wonder why the man looks like a dadgum model. Yeah, he's that is a gorgeous man. I've said this before on some other shows that. That almost worries me a little bit because I don't know anybody that is that handsome that's actually good because I feel like when you're an ugly dude, you have to be good at baseball. Like That has to be everything. You don't have a fallback. But uh, if you're that handsome, Max Fried could literally find work as a model. He absolutely could. And he's uh, I got, got the chance to meet him. He's a real nice guy and he's got a real firm handshake. That's a, that's a very important thing, ladies out there. I know you guys are looking at that, too. Uh, especially you saw him at Chop Fest, which you were at, and unfortunately I did not get to attend. It was fun. It was a lot of fun. Um, got to meet Alex Jackson, Max Freed, Chase Whitley, uh, Sean Newcomb, Ronald Acuna. Got my picture taken. You know, it was an honor for him, I'm sure. <laughs> of course. I mean, he's going to remember that forever. It's going to be framed up in his room. Did mm-hmm. he ask you to sign it? Yeah, I, uh, I signed a, a Polaroid. Oh, a Polaroid. Wow. He's old school. I mean, I figured a guy with, uh, you know, with the uh, the whole hat situation, hat gate going on, wearing the chains everywhere, I figured he'd be at least rocking the camera phone. You would think. But, uh, you know, I'm sad to say uh, he was not wearing a hat at Chop Fest, so I didn't get a chance to tell him how disappointed I was at the angle that it was sitting at. That's just disappointing. He should be in uniform at all times. You know, speaking yeah, of Hackgate, was, by the way, I don't want to cut you off, but speaking of Hackgate, we were going to go right into our first segment, but I do feel like this Hackgate thing, this this is something to talk about. Uh, we'll play facetiously with this for a while, but uh, before we get into my topic, because I do have a tendency to <laughs> go over, uh, just real quick, Dylan Short, you guys already know everything about me. Um, you guys have read my pieces at OFR. You know I'm pretty much the weak link there. I'm not the rookie anymore now that uh, Matt Critzberg, shout out to Matt, has become the new rookie. And uh, all of you know Doc from Call to the Pen. He unfortunately decided that he was going to retire for a bit, take a, a sabbatical, as it were. But that's okay. That's why I got him on here. I win. <laughs> well, I am uh, uh, very grateful to Call to the Pen for letting me spew a lot of words for them uh, for, for a good couple months. It's um, it's a lot, you know, to takes a lot longer to write one of those articles than you think out there. It's not just sit down and, and, and spew it out an hour. That that takes a good long while. A whole lot more going into the research and, and getting everything prepared to make sure you don't sound like an idiot. Well, especially anymore because they're waiting around every corner is somebody to tell you that, hey, you got this fact wrong or this guy is owed Looking at you, more Josh. money. Well, I mean, it's it's not just Josh. It's I mean, it's Josh, but it's, it's a... 
anybody people you know the the national pastime anymore is uh trying to prove people wrong so yeah it brings me back to when i i floated the idea of of adding in nick marcakis into a trade and i got some people who got genuinely upset with me calling me uh, a lazy writer for thinking that marcakis had any trade value to which i was like man like you don't understand it's like you can't just trade away your good pieces and get nothing of immediate value in return, which is what I was trying to explain to people. So even if you don't see a long-term value for that, Nick Marcakis was not the main piece. He's a stopgap until younger guys were ready. And it was with the Brewers, of course. Now this was of course, before they decided, Hey, let's get the best offensive outfield maybe ever um, and bring in Lorenzo Kane and Christian Yelich. That outfield is dangerous. That is real. And they still have Santana. They still have have Phillips. Phillips. And Keon Broxton, who is going to give you some power. He's not going to give you a lot of average, but uh, he's got the weirdest thing. He doesn't walk his OBP. I think his OBP last year was 299. I think it was under 300, but he hit 20 bombs. Yeah. And he's going to steal 20 bases and play really good defense. That's a solid piece. That's a starter on a lot of teams. Don't say that. You're going to get all the Sabre guys upset with us. Well, you know, uh, most teams in uh, 1981. How about that? <laughs> there we go. I'm just going to go ahead and say this flat out. Uh, we will piss a lot of you off on the show, and I hope we do, because that's kind of what I'm going for here. Um, I'm just kidding. We love you all. We hope you all love the podcast, and you subscribe to us and listen to us every week. Uh, like I said, we're going to go ahead and get into Hatgate here. Um, if you live under a rock, you might not know this. But fans in spring training with horrible teams have a tendency to slightly, very slightly, overreact to everything. You know, uh, I think this offseason has been really touchy for a lot of people. Um, October 1st, I think, was the last game of the season against the Marlins. The Braves won. Everybody got to feeling good and thinking, all right, we're going to go into the next year of this rebuild. We're going to take over the world. And then... Then Copygate happened. Then, man, I just remember seeing that tweet from Rosenthal saying Coppola is stepping down. I mean, this was before noon on the first day, first day of the offseason. I thought, I thought he was full of crap. I was like, I haven't seen anything. This can't possibly be true. Oh, I thought he got hacked. You know, I thought that it was uh, I thought it was Braves Cody. I thought that he had just changed his, <laughs> you know, changed his avatar and, and was just messing with everybody. But as you start to see these things happen and then everybody got to stew over what was going to happen for seven weeks before they took the prospects away. And some people thought, well, maybe it won't be that bad. And other people thought they're they're just going to relegate the Braves to triple A. Other people uh, like me just kind of hoped it wouldn't be as bad as it was. And then it was bad. It was real bad. <laughs> We're not going to break down all the people lost because you've all we've everybody's tortured you. Every writer in here has tortured you enough with all the names that are gone. And hey, half of them are probably in the Angels farm system by now. Anyway, um, the biggest thing this offseason outside of why didn't we get Christian Yelich or why didn't we get Todd Frazier or why haven't we signed Mike Mustakas or why didn't we sign Jake, Jake Arrieta? You know, typical. Typical stuff for people that are tired of losing and want to win now, uh, which we'll, we'll talk about some some potential moves a little bit later in the show. Um, the biggest thing right now is that there's this weird turn in Braves fans. I was born in 91, so I have basically from the time that I was born until basically half my life, the Braves were one of the penultimate teams in Major League Baseball. 
the 14 straight division titles, the should have been three World Series wins, but we did get one. Uh, all uh, Maddox, Glavin, Smoltz, Chipper, Andrew, all of these guys, Fred McGriff, went through all of these guys, got to watch all of them growing up. And the fans could not have been more behind Bobby Cox and John Sherholtz and Ted Turner and everybody else that helped make that team what it was. And it feels like, I don't know if it was the last two years of Bobby maybe, or if it was really when we started losing once that old guard started to kind of fade away and we got into Freddie. But man, the fan base took a quick turn on the Braves way. That's become an insult now in in the Braves Twitter. Yeah, it, it used to be a compliment. And now for anything that that fans kind of disagree with, it's it's linked to the Braves way and, and a bunch of old men making decisions. And as it pertains to, to the hat, you know, teams have teams have dress codes. Yeah. By the way, for, like, for anybody, what we're talking about the hat thing, there was a, there was a, I, I don't remember who reported it, but somebody put it out there that the Braves were telling Ronald Acuna that he needed to wear his hat firm, like all the way down on his head. Like you'd normally wear a hat or like you'd see 90s players wear their hats flat down on their head, not not cocked up or not cocked to the side like CC Sabathia and things like that. Uh, basically telling him to adhere to a uniform. And I want to get your take on this, but I'll, I'll be honest. I don't have any problem with what they said. Teams have dress codes. I mean, the Yankees make every player shave. It's just what it is when you wear the pinstripes. Um Certain teams have certain rules. I believe the Cardinals have dress code as well. It's just one of these things, and I get it. It is a game. I don't think it was a case of wear your hat right or we're not going to play you. I think it was more a case of, hey, when you're between the lines, wear your hat this way like everybody else does. And, you know, for a kid like Acuna, 19, 20 years old, the phenom that he is, and by the way, has been called by every scout that I respect, a very arrogant kid, not a, not a bad kid by any means, but a very arrogant player, which tends to happen, by the way, when you're one of the uber prospects and one of the most talented players, like one of the most talented kids around that tends to get into your head a little bit. Chipper was the same way, folks. Um, and, and he'd tell you that all the greats were that way and probably still are, because to get to that level, you have to think that you're better than everybody else. And in most of those cases, for those guys, it was true. And if all works out for Acuna, it'll be true there, too. But. The hat thing doesn't bother me. It really doesn't. I don't think it smacks of Braves way. I think it smacks of, of a way to tell a guy that you're not above the team. That, yes, you are this uber prospect. Everyone is watching you. The sky is the limit. We can't wait to see what you can do. But you do still have to be part of a cohesive unit. So, no, it doesn't bother me that they told him to put his hat down straight. Now, if it were to be a case of we're not playing him because he didn't wear his hat right, then I might be a little upset because at that point you're more worried about aesthetics than wins, but this isn't a playoff team. So I don't really care. And you just, you just got to set him down the right path. So when he gets to Atlanta, whether it's uh, opening day or two weeks into the season or after the super two cutoff to where he's carrying himself the way he's, he's a brave, you know, he's, he needs to be playing for the, the name on the front of the Jersey instead of what's on the back when he's posting pictures on Instagram with a caption of 
it was him next to Andrew Jones and the caption translated to learning from those who know if Andrew Jones has to tell you to, to not be quite as cocky, then you probably need to listen. I mean, the, that's actually a great person for him to talk to because Andrew knows firsthand, which is what's stuck in the craw of a ton of old heads in baseball. The fact that Bobby took Andrew out during a game for not running out a ground ball, um, that, and the fact that Andrew would smile and look genuinely cocky and, and all that, that's a great person for Acuna to latch on to because there is – we don't just make the comparison because they are, they are both Braves and they both played the same position. They're both the same age as they come up. Those are all like really easy comparisons right there, but the comparisons into everything else, it lines up almost perfectly. The swings are nearly identical. The meteoric yep. rise to the system, the five-tool type of player, because don't forget Andrew was extremely fast when he was young before he got fat. All of that is the same. The the only thing that you the good thing about Andrew is Andrew could probably tell Acuna, "Hey, tone it down a bit. Have the confidence in yourself, but maybe don't act like I did when I came up because that causes a lot of friction or that gets you in trouble a little bit." And who knows? Andrew may have just been telling him, "Hey, man, I like what you're doing." It doesn't matter. But the fact that Acuna has somebody readily to look up to that was basically what he wants to be hopefully for a little bit longer than Andrew, but you will never catch me disparaging Andrew Jones outside of wondering what could have been. I think that that is a phenomenal caption, a phenomenal picture. And I hope I, I pray that he continues to latch on to Andrew Jones. I, I, I hope they, they definitely keep him around as a guest instructor. Um, they just kind of have him as a, as a mentor. I'm still beyond as, pissed as that Troy Glouse got his number. Well, you know, it, it was only for one season, right? I love so my Braves, but that was a total Bush League move. They're going to probably, well, I would like for them to retire his number. I can't say that uh, that they should necessarily, but uh, I would like for them to retire Andrew's number. I, I mean, you almost have to, and this is going to go into the Hall of Fame talk, which we should probably save for another show uh, if we can get like a, a Jay Jaffe on, somebody who's big-time Hall of Fame type of guy. But case in point, I'll say this. If you have guys like Luis Aparicio or Ozzie Smith in the Hall of Fame, guys that were defense first, Andrew has to be in, folks. I'm sorry. I don't care that he wasn't great for 17 years. What I care about was that here's my here's my candidate for Hall of Fame at at one point in time, could you say he was top three in the game or at his position, at least in the game with Andrew, it was him and King Griffey jr. That was it. There was no other center fielder. Anybody that says Jim Edmonds is an idiot and doesn't really know what they were watching. Jim Edmonds made nice, awesome dives, but those are plays that if you, if you back up the numbers with, with range and all that stuff and, and how far and how efficient the routes are, but he literally did not hold a torch to Andrew. That's why a lot of people don't like it. It looked easy. He was jogging the one-handed catches. I don't care. Anytime that you have a larger lead on Willie Mays than anybody has at anybody else at their positions, that's a Hall of Famer. You brought up Ken Griffey Jr. I remember watching the Home Run Derby in sometime in the 1990s when Griffey Jr. had his hat around backwards. Even oh, that yeah. caused, caused oh, an uproar. Yeah. That went, oh, I remember that, too. That was 97? Somewhere, yeah, somewhere around there. When he was yeah. still with the Mariners, mm-hmm. uh, hitting hitting moonshots. By the way, um, that was uh, that was the first that was the first hat gate that I can remember. And I said all that to say I don't care about the Braves saying turn your hat or wear your hat right. I don't care about Acuna wearing his hat however he wants. How well, do you it's, feel? It's, it's a touchy subject because you know, like I said, people 
it has been a very tumultuous offseason. And I think that at this point, people were expecting so much more action and, and news than has actually come up. So anything seems like news. You know, Corey Dickerson got DFA'd by the race. Don't remind me. I know. I know. I mean, that when I saw that, you were the, actually the first person I thought of because I know that you loved him. But but it just people are saying, Braves are looking for an outfielder. It has to be Corey Dickerson. And every time you see a rumor about somebody, Braves fans try to find on. a way to link him to the Braves. I, I'm guilty of the same thing. I do and, the same thing. And there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, I I kind of run through scenarios in my head, too, where I'm saying, I wonder if this would be a fit. But, I mean, you see some people take it to the extreme, right? <laughs> and so and so when <laughs> you have the Lakers fans, that'll be like, OK, we'll give you Julio Tehran and you're going to give us Mookie Betts. Lakers? Los so, Angeles I'm, Lakers, it's if you if you're not a basketball <laughs> fan, I'll just say it like this. As crazy as you think some baseball fans can be, no fan base is crazier about trades than the Los Angeles Lakers in the NBA. They think that they will give you their third string point guard and they will get back Carmelo or superstar Carmelo Anthony or any name a superstar and they'll think that that's oh, well we're the Lakers. That that's off topic, but that where that's how that's how I feel. No, fair enough. Fair enough. And uh you know, so when when something like this comes up and you're expecting good news, we signed a free agent, we traded for a big guy, we because you know we're we're on the team. Um, y- you know, you and then this is the news <laughs> that we as fans are getting is that our number one prospect, who's the guy that everybody's hitching their hopes and dreams on, is being chided for you know for wearing his hat wrong for like, being he's not, twenty. Right, it's, he's not wearing it like Fernando Rodney. You know, so, right? Not, he's so, not even wearing it like Chris Medlin. Right. And and so, you know what? I want to see Acuna run out to center field or right field or wherever they wind up putting him and just start shooting arrows like Fernando Rodney does. But, uh, <laughs> that give but, us something know. to talk about. That'd be nice. I want some swagger on my team. Yeah. And, and between Albies and Acuna and Gahara, you're, you're seeing some of that swagger start to leak in, you know? And, uh, you know, I think it's. It's a dress code thing. This is the same organization that said Cam Maven couldn't wear his socks high a couple years ago. Which I found it's odd because wearing the socks high is an old school thing. I, th- I thought it was a great look. But I love it, in, personally. At the end of the day, you're a representative for the, for the team. And if they're going to be paying, yeah, he's main, making peanuts in AAA. But he's going to be making league minimum of you know, 585000 or whatever that is. Um, just short of six hundred grand, man. You want to give me six hundred grand? I'll wear a clown suit to work. Right? I'll Tell shave me what my head. Wear. And Doc and I were talking before the show that shaving my head is like the sign that I've given up on life and I don't care about the world. You give me six hundred grand, I'll shave my head. You bet your ass. Shave anything you want. It doesn't matter. Hold on. <laughs> <laughs> so we're gonna get into this first segment. This is gonna be the staple of our show. We're gonna start this off with a call to the doctor. He's going to make a house call. <laughs> So, Doc, I got some problems. I've got what some got? symptoms. My team is horrible. I've got this churning in my gut. What can I do to alleviate this? Uh, no more spicy food. Uh, and, you know, I think the, the biggest problem with with this team from from last year and was you look at the opening day roster and it had stop gaps and retreads and just – it didn't make sense for a team that was going into a new stadium in the third year of the rebuild. It, it just didn't make sense. 
um, you look at some of these names that are on here, man, it's almost like I remembered, I remember last year thinking, wow, this is bad. And 11 months after last year's opening day, I'm looking back at it going, this is so much worse than I thought. Do you want to try and take a guess at some of the names that were on the, the 25 man to open last year? Let's see if I can get this. Danny Santana. Nope. Oh, wow. Okay. I'm going to name he the was, pitchers first. Cause I know that one. Yeah. Uh, Julio yeah. Fulte. Yep. yep. Uh, Bartolo Colon, of course, Ari Dickey, uh, Tyler Flowers, Kurt Suzuki, Freddie, of course, Brandon Phillips, Dansby. Oh, I don't know why I'm drawing a blank on third. Markakis, Kemp, um, Ender, of course. Rio was not up yet, so I'm trying to... I don't know why I'm drawing a, a, a blank on third base. I know it's I know it's going to kill me that I didn't get this. Most of those, most of those are the the notable ones that are still going to oh, be sticking around. Bullpen, by the way, uh, Aroidus, um, yeah. Ian Kroll, Eric O'Flaherty, uh, Jim Johnson. And that's all I got. Chaz Rowe. How can I forget him? How can I forget Josh Colmenter. Oh, the Coltrane. Uh, right. Uh, Jaime Garcia was the uh, the last one in the rotation. Um, and he was actually... I can't modern. believe I didn't even mention Jaime. I actually... I knew Jaime was on there. I don't know why. I counted off five on my fingers, and <laughs> I guess I didn't count <laughs> the five correctly. But, I mean, th- he was only around for four months. So, And then you also have Anthony Recker, Chase Darno. Adonis Garcia. Adonis? Case. How can Adonis I forget Garcia. Adonis? I mean, we all tried for years. He's going to be the you star know? of the KBO, man. You don't even know. I hope. I hope he goes over there and he hits 600 home runs next year. But, you know, he wasn't doing it here. Uh, Jace Peterson, who is now with the Yankees. Jace on base. Emilio Bonifacio. Yeah, the, Jace the clutch god Peterson. <laughs> Emilio Bonifacio. Um I mean, these are names that, that don't have a place on a major league roster for, for the most part. You know what I mean? These are guys so, who had a place like 10 years before they had a place here. Like Bonifacio hadn't been good since like he had one good year with the Marlins, and that was it. I believe he hit like 283 one year and had like f- almost 50 steals. And this that team, that particular roster, if it was 2011, the Braves would win the World Series because with Phillips and Dickey and Cologne and all in their Garcia, primes, all in their primes, Matt Kemp. That's another one. I mean, before he I was think Matt Kemp. Yeah, that was the year that Kemp was had put up like a nine WAR and was was, was that just his MV, or his his year that he should have won MVP? That was the twenty what was that a twenty seven or a thirty four homer year and like one hundred and fourteen or one hundred twenty RBI. And he stole like twenty something bases yeah. too. He he was he was legit back then. He was still fast enough to play center field. He was still then. a horrible center fielder defensively, but like light years better than what he was as a left fielder. Right. So you look at all all these guys, and granted, this was just opening day, and you start to see some of these guys fall off. Bartolo left, and and Newcomb stepped in, and Sims and all these came up on the same day. Winkler and Mentor. It, you you really start to see it, you know. So I think this year you're still going to have some kind of stop gaps. Brandon McCarthy being being the most notable one. Uh, Peter Moylan, uh, who I think is going to wind up nailing down one of those bullpen spots. I think that the problem is kind of starting to solve itself, and 
Alex Anthopoulos has something that John Coppola doesn't does not have, and that is a track record of putting together a team that can make the playoffs. Copy was very shrewd with trades. He was really good with acquiring prospects and being creative, but the team record under Copy was, I mean. They lost 290 games over three seasons. That's, and that's, actually, not a, that's a good point because you can point to the fact that they're rebuilding. But when you look at it, Copy's minor league moves, phenomenal. His major league moves were awful. It's not just the Matt Kemp thing. It's trading Alex Wood to get Hector Oliveira in the first place. And I, I don't really fault him quite as much for that one because say what you want. Everybody was bought in on Hector Oliveira. I remember when he was coming over, people were thinking he was a 30 home run guy minimum that he was going to be this uber stud, and it, it obviously just did not translate for him. But giving up Alex Wood, I always thought was a weird thing. We were talking about a guy, yeah, his motion might be funky, but he was coming off a really strong season. That wasn't a phenomenal move, and then you compound it with Matt Kemp. Uh, the Phillips move was good. You didn't give, you just took on some money and really not a lot of money. That was a, a really good move. But outside of that, the bullpen moves, not great. The starting rotation moves left a lot to be desired, and I get you're rebuilding, but that were that that was not a good major league acquisition for that era. Yeah, there was there was no evidence that that Copy was going to be able to take that next step. He was so good at taking the first couple steps, even if he did have to um, uh, kind of bend the rules just, just a touch, just a touch, just a little. Everybody's yes. doing it. It's okay. Uh, yeah, and that's actually that's really the only thing in my mind that's I I don't look at copy as being necessarily better than Frank Wren. I look at him as being like the other half of Frank Wren. So we had Frank Wren where he got in some really really good major leaguers for a year or two. Now he bit hard on some career years and it cost him. But I don't think any one of us thought adding Justin Upton was bad. Right? We're all on board. No. That, that was great. Now the BJ move was always horrible. It was always going to be horrible. Yeah. Uh, when you got Marcakis, adding Marcakis was not a bad move. Giving him eleven million a year for four years was, but adding Marcakis at that time was not a bad move because he was still, I believe, a three war player at that point when he was when he was uh, when he was leaving Baltimore. I think he just had a four war year two years before or a year prior to coming to Atlanta. That neck surgery did a lot. I think that Marcakis could have been. If not for that neck surgery, I think that he would have been worth the eleven million. But that zapped a lot of his uh, that particular off season, and he never really he never really returned to form after that. He really didn't have any power to spare to lose that much, right? And because he he was always a great doubles hitter, and and I I hate seeing people talk bad about Marcakis, th- saying that. Who he is now is who he's always been. If you are listening to this and you don't think Nick Markakis was ever a good baseball player, go to BRF right now and look up how good he was when he his first couple of years with the Orioles. He, he was had two or excellent. three years of twenty plus homers as well. I mean, you mm-hmm. didn't see it because the Baltimore teams then were horrible, but right. him and Adam Jones were one of the more effective outfield duos in Major League Baseball at that time. And then, yeah. you know, he started even before the next surgery, he was starting to tail off just a touch, but he was still great at getting on base and he roped doubles. And that's that's perfectly fine. That helps your ISO out a little bit. Then the next surgery comes in. You're right. That saps a ton of power. Uh, it, it really threw the timing off. And he's just getting older. And his game was not really 
built well to carry that power because even his home run power was not like launching bombs. It wasn't like Acuna in batting practice. It wasn't like Giancarlo Stanton bombs. It was like Mike Moustakis type bombs. And this is why Moustakis scares me where they're, they're not 420 footers. They're three ninety four Oh five, which home runs a home run. But when you're barely getting over the wall, that tends to sap away a lot quicker than if you're a guy that's hitting them 430. So now as you're getting older, you're hitting them 404. Like that's that that's a little bit of power you can give. So I, I don't fault him bringing in Marcakis. I thought it was and it was actually a smart move if you're thinking about having to bring in a lot of young guys and things like that. He's good to have around, he's good in the locker room. The problem was always the money. And not even necessarily the money, maybe the years more than the money. But you know, I I'll I'll give that one a dead even. Because last year was bad for Marcakis, but before that, he's been at least he's been average. And people like to mock the idea of veteran presence, but it's a real thing for a team that that was going to build around a lot of young guys. That is the type of guy that you want. But everybody rest easy. This is the last year of Marcakis's contract, and, and unless unless uh, Anthopoulos wants to sign him to another four year, forty four million dollar deal. And extend we would burn through, SunTrust uh, down to the ground. Oh my God, um, man! Can you imagine? So, what's the remedy? <laughs> what's the remedy? I'm tired of seeing us lose all the time. I'm tired of us seeing. Uh, tired of seeing us be an afterthought. What is the What is the remedy for said situation? Because I was I was stoked when they moved Kemp, and then the next move was adding Peter Moylan. I think it's just kind of patience, um, and, and I know that nobody wants to hear that. But like I said, I I, I grew up watching watching Cubs games. I was a, a Cubs fan before I was before I was a Braves fan. And uh, traitor! Hey, hey, man! Uh, I I cannot I cannot control my past. Bandwagon! Oh, come on! I will tell you this: I was so happy when they won the World Series. I was so happy because it, it, like I was I said, too because I, I called that, so I was really happy. I used to watch the games with my grandfather. He he passed in 1992, so this was like it was like getting to share that moment with him, you know. But uh, but so when they started and they went into full on tank mode and they were losing a hundred and you know they were they were really really just taking it bare bones, stripping the house down to the studs. As they started to build it back up, I was really tr- paying attention to it, and it took five years. And this is year number four, and. When you start seeing guys like Newcomb, Sims, Aldi's, Menzer, all these prospects that everybody's been talking about for years, when you start to see them show up, you see some of the things that Aldi's did when he got there. You see the strides that Newcomb has made from double A AA to triple A to being in the majors. You see the hype with Acuna. You you almost have to just have faith in the hype, but you also, it's like cautious optimism. You have to realize, okay, well maybe Acuna is not going to show out in MLB like he did ascending through the minors last year, but you, you gotta want to believe it. And you know what? There's still going to be some, some growing pains this year, but the average age from the, I mean, you heard all those names that we were listing off earlier. The average age for the opening day roster last year was like 30 Average age for the opening day roster this year is like 25. You have young, exciting players. Even with as bad as things got sometimes, that of all of the the, <clears throat> the losing that has been done, 2017 was by a long shot the most fun year to watch for all for all of these guys having them having them come up and and really kind of 
we got to watch them get their feet wet. Especially because you had some very pleasant surprises from Max Fried and his starts was shocking to me with how well he handled his starting transition. Uh, you got to see Lucas Sims, the hometown kid, have a, a really solid first start. Uh, Camargo was a huge surprise. You got to see yeah. you got to see some really good stuff. Luis Gohara coming up and being dominant. It was nice to see, even if Dansby struggled. Which, by the Dude. way, I'm not. You all know my thoughts on Dansby. Um, I don't think that he's. I don't think he's Derek Jeter. I'm sorry. Um, I just don't. Uh, he's a better fielder than Derek Jeter. Well, yeah, but if Derek, when Derek, by the way, quick note: when Derek Jeter goes into the Hall of Fame, he'll be the worst fielder the worst fielding shortstop ever to go into the hall of fame uh quick little note on that and just bet just know he's going to be first ballot hall of famer um, if dansby was uh was in charge of the marlins their offseason outlook would be much better than it is with jeter oh are you sure about that could it be much worse that is true that is very true i mean they still have uh <laughs> they still have real muto they didn't deal him when i wasn't looking did they they've got real muto and starlin castro and, and justin Bohr. <clears throat> Justin Bohr is I needed to get rid of him by the way because he's like <clears throat> he's like the new David Wright in the division. Brian Howard. Yeah, I mean he he's good against everybody else. He's Mike Trout against the Braves. Yeah. And by the way, it, it is very weird when you look at his war, you see the deal that Eric Hosmer signed this offseason. He's mm-hmm. as far as war goes and, and weighted runs created plus, he's actually not as good as Justin Bohr. But you know, whatever. Uh, it's not my money. If if other teams want to waste money on bad signings, that's fine. Helps me out for the next uh, for the next free agent bonanza. So with that said, the, the Royals just got Lucas Duda, and uh, they have pretty comparable uh, WRC plus over the last couple of years. And see that one I'll shake off because I've watched a ton of Lucas Duda, and he's <laughs> he's not as good as Hosmer. And I'm not saying this is a guy that loves Eric Hosmer because I'm ambivalent on Eric Hosmer. I think he's a little above average. I think he still has some upside. Duda is one thing and one thing only, and that's power. His defense is atrocious. His range is atrocious. His average is atrocious. He can walk every once in a while, and he can hit homers. That, to me, is one of the flaws when you're a Sabre-only type of guy, when you're a Fangraphs-only type of guy, is you'll see those two comparable numbers, but you won't see how they arrived at those comparable numbers. because you can. That's one of those where the eye test does actually work. Where you can look at Hosmer and you you can look at Duda and you can see that Hosmer is a more complete player and a better player than Duda, not by a lot because Hosmer is definitely not worth a hundred and was one hundred forty eight million over seven years. Yeah, average value Duda is making three point five million. Hosmer is making eighteen million. So it's definitely a net win for the Royals for a team, especially that's looking to tank. So by the way, get on the horn about Danny Duffy. Um, where are you going to put him? There's there's so many you've got. Listen, I can I can think of seven, eight rotation candidates just listen, off the top of my head. I don't care. You bring Danny Duffy in right now. You've got a number one for the next few years. That's going to fit in perfectly at SunTrust Park. Is a left hander that strikes a ton of people out, doesn't walk a ton, and doesn't have an astronomical fly ball rate like Chris Ar- like Chris Archer, who I actually do like. Um, and he's he's awesome, and his Twitter's awesome. Uh, I would give you. Since we have twelve thousand young arms, I'd give you one of those for. I'd give you a couple of those for Danny Duffy. Since you're trying to rebuild, I'll go with the proven production in Danny Duffy, then hoping that all of my favorite young guys pan out. As long as Joey Wentz is not included in the deal, I'm I'm very excited to see uh, his encore and Bryce Wilson too. I think Wentz and Wilson um, and Mueller. Let's not forget Mueller either. Yeah, I've. Um, 
you look at the Soroka's numbers from 2016, uh, Bryce Wilson's numbers in 2017 are eerily similar. And I think that the Wilson and Wentz combo is going to be kind of touted in a similar fashion to the Soroka Allard combo, the way that that's been for the last, uh, last year or two. And when Wentz's velocity picks back up after he feels comfortable locating his off speed, I will be vindicated. But that mm-hmm. is a, ha- what? How about Muller? How about Muller's back up to 95? How about 107 off a of crow? I mean, that's true. They clocked that that ball about <laughs> four feet out of his hand. But uh, so, you know okay. what? Think how crazy Whatever. that is, by the way. Araldus Chapman threw that as a pitch. <laughs> Think about that. He threw, was it 106.7 in the minor leagues? That's nuts. I remember seeing him throw one of one Oh five. I think Andrew McCutcheon was at bat and he just had this look on his face. Like, are, are you, that's not possible. Kidding me. Even crazier. <laughs> that's not even his best pitch. His slider is the most nasty is the single most nasty pitch I've ever seen in my entire life. Getting, uh, Rob Friedman is the pitching ninja on Twitter. That was, that is one of my favorite follows getting to break down the mechanics of some of these guys in slow motion and seeing, uh, the the weight transfer for Chapman, like how much power he's he's pushing out it of his is legs, insane, is and he's super tall, so he's already close to the plate. But that mm-hmm. slider, no lie, literally breaks from the outside corner to a ball on the inside. It's just, mm-hmm. and it's still like ninety two mile an hour. It's just Can't not possible. It. It's Can't hit it. I don't, nah, he's not a brave, so I don't want to talk about him too long because I will fawn over. <laughs> there are certain players in this league that I will drool over watching. Chapman is one of those. Trout, of course, is another. Angleton, you all know, is like my long lost soulmate. Um, you know, platonically, of course. Um, of course, he's my vicarious player. If I could be a player, it's him. Besides Mike Trout, because he's not human. Mike, I'm fully convinced that Mike Trout is, is actually like a Terminator sent from like three thousand years in the future, just to come <laughs> to to come by, completely destroy every record in the book. Like, have you ever seen Flash the first season? I don't mean to play spoiler, but the Doctor Wells Reverse Flash is Eobard Thawne from the future. That's what Mike Trout is. He's somebody from the future where everyone gets to like genetically enhance their body and come out perfect and look like a super soldier. That's him. He's Captain America. The biggest downfall for Mike Trout is that uh, he's a Philadelphia Eagles fan. I know, and it scares me more than anything that he's going to end up being a Philly. If that happens, I, I might actually cry. Not where anybody can hear me or see me, but it might happen. Bryce Harper's going to wind up leaving the NL East after after this coming year. I don't think that Washington's going to have the money to retain him, and we'll have probably a good two years or so before Trout signs with Phillies, and we can all go back to. Um, yeah, I'm going to be really conflicted because you know, we hate Bryce Harper because he's Bryce Harper, but at the same time, I we can't also hate ha- Mike Trout because he's yeah. that awesome and he's a good dude. He's not like he he seems very humble. At the very least, he's not in your face douchey like Bryce. Like mm-hmm. if Bryce weren't such an insufferable douchebag, like then I wouldn't have as bad a problem because Bryce is an extremely talented player. The problem is yeah, he's he really also is. he might be the biggest douchebag in baseball. I don't even think it's close. I, I can't even think of anybody that's in that same stratosphere. But and here's here's the thing too. When going we'll tie this back to Hatgate. The last thing that I think the Braves want to happen is for Acuna's level of of cockiness or arrogance or whatever Harper you want to call levels. it. Right, because then it's, you're That's what it's been compared to, by the way. There was a right. scout that said he hadn't seen that level of aggressive arrogance since Bryce Harper. And Harper, hate him as we do, 
he can back it up sometimes. I mean, he last back it year, up most of the time, last year, most of the time. Right. And I mean, his numbers in 2016 are stupid. <laughs> like that, right? that's crazy. Like, you, you know what? You can be as arrogant as you want. If you're going to wind up hitting over 300 with 42 bombs and I, that's, that's nutso. So the last thing that you really want is for Acuna to be maligned by people and have people justified in their, in their loathing for him. You know? I want other teams to hate Acuna, but not this level of like, I almost feel like a Philadelphia fan with my levels of hatred for Bryce Harper. And I don't say that lightly. I think Philadelphia fans are the scum of the earth, <clears throat> except for Mike Trout, apparently, but <laughs> Philly people are the scum of the earth. They are the worst fan base in any major sport. All they try to do is, is be English hooligans over here in America. Cause their teams generally <laughs> suck at everything. You know, that's why this was the worst Super Bowl for me of all time, because I don't like Tom Brady because he has the perfect life. Uh, you're not supposed to be, you know, playing in your forties, still have all your hair, be married to the Victoria's secret. Number one, sexiest woman in the world forever. Even though Adriana Lima was hotter, but he had a, he dated Adriana Lima too. And then have kids with two supermodels and you're still the trophy husband. You still don't Mm -hmm. make as much as she made. Tom Brady has appeared in 15% of the super bowls ever played. Just nuts. Anyway, anyway, (laughs) if we go down the rabbit hole talking about how much we hate the Patriots and the Eagles, we're going to be here all night long. Pretty much. So I will wrap this to this. So there's been a lot of talk, a lot of trade talk. You and I have done this before. uh, And it's one of those things that I can't help but do because I am wired kind of weird. Let me start this off by saying it will not bother me if the Braves kind of take a year to see to develop some of these young guys and see what they have. It will bother me, though, if better options come around and they don't at least explore the option. Like, I'm not saying get locked up in Josh Donaldson. I'm not saying get locked up in somebody that's going to cost you, you know, 12, 13, 14, 15 million and not be like, like I'm not basically I'm not advocating for another like Nick Markakis kind of stopgap. But like my thing with Danny Duffy. He doesn't make a heck of a lot to be a number one. He's he's probably going to make less than Lance Lynn is going to get on his contract when Lance Lynn eventually signs. Mm-hmm. Um, he's going to make less than Arietta. He's going to make he makes less than you Darvish, and he's every bit the pitcher that at least Darvish is. He's better than Lance Lynn, um, and at fifteen million, I think for a number one, that's a that's a good deal. Even into even in this weird kind of year it's been for the free agents that's a move that i would explore making because you'd be dealing from a position of strength to a team that is rebuilding that's the thing you're not buying high on a guy you're not you're not saying all right well i need this guy to get me over the hump you're adding a guy for a year or two of the future and because i kind of feel blocking prospects i don't like that talk i think it's kind of stupid if the prospect is amazing then you'll find a way to get him on the field like acuna if you didn't have to deal with the arbitration deadline, does anyone in their right mind think Acuna wouldn't be starting? I mean, Acuna is going to be in the long-term plans. If if Acuna wasn't, then we would have Christian Yelich. He's going to be in the short-term right plans. I mean, he's going to be he's going to be up. I would imagine the third week of April when when they pass the arbitration deadline, um, like you say. I, I proposed that I would love to keep him down past Super 2. I don't think you can. I do think that that causes a rift between the player because uh, at that point, they know exactly what you're doing. 
you can kind of deal with the three weeks, eh, okay. But Super 2, you start really messing with contract money. Because you get one extra year of arbitration. Yeah, it's not the $20 million you think you can make. But that 600000 does not equal the same amount as that ten point eight that Chris Bryant got because he was a Super 2. Yeah, and he knows. Like, like you said, he, he's... He's no fool. He, he, he understands. He's acknowledged that he understands. But ideally, you're going to wind up buying out some of his arbitration years anyway. Before I wouldn't bank on that, though, is the thing. That is a risky proposition. You always can, but it does not always work. Sometimes you get the Bryce Harper who's like, yeah, I'm only going to sign this tiny deal so I can go make bank bank. At that point, you know, we'll we'll cross that that bridge once we, we get, get to it. it. I don't I don't even, you know, <laughs> for all the all the talk of you know, let's trade this prospect, let's let's trade that one. I'm I'm not even trying to go down the road of, of trading Acuna, but no, never. He's there's not many untouchable pieces in baseball. Acuna is one of them. Aloy Jimenez yeah. is probably another one now because the Cubs were so desperate to make it back to the postseason. Um, Victor Robles, from everything I've heard, Victor Robles is, even though I'm not as big on Victor Robles as some of these others are. Um, I think that's probably about it. I don't know many pitchers besides Shohei Otani, of course. Um, I think those might be your only untouchables. I think everybody else could be had for a price. Maybe Brent Honeywell, even though he, he had the the, uh, the UCL now, but Brent Honeywell might have been the only other one who'd be untouchable. I think every single other person could be had for a price. That's a heartbreaker, isn't it? I I just I I hate. That I feel for him. for him because not only is he going to be one of I think he's probably the only pitcher in major leagues to throw a screwball right now. He actually has the knowledge to back it up as to why he throws that screwball, and it's because it puts it actually puts less torque on your elbow than an actual curveball does. It looks like it would torque you more, but it actually uses a lot. It puts a lot less strain on your elbow. It's really weird. It's it's a crazy pitch to master. It's harder to master than the knuckleball, but it is it is a beautiful thing to see somebody who can actually throw it and throw it well. It is awesome. Well, I, I hope <clears throat> I hope he has a uh, a good recovery and return because he he's really exciting. It's similar to last year when when Alex Reyes. Uh, of St. Louis wound up having to get Tommy John before before the season even started. Yeah, that was that was another one. He's going to be back now, so I'm ex- I'm excited to see him. I'm not a big Cardinals fan for the most part because they've kind of hurt me too much. They seem to they seem to never go into prolonged droughts. Like last year, they weren't particularly good, but they they never seem to be a team that has to tear it down. Have you ever noticed that they're just a team that mm-hmm. for whatever reason. They always seem to be at least like second in their division, second or third. They are, they're always an 85-win type of team. And it, it makes me really angry that they can't just have a bad season. I need them to I need them to have like a 72-win season. Well, now that they've got Marcelo Zuna, I, I don't see that happening. NL Central is going to be a lot of fun to watch. <laughs> Cubs got Darvish. Uh, Cardinals got – they also got Tyler Chatwood. Cardinals got Ozuna. Brewers got Kane and Yelich, and and who knows they they could be uh, still talking to Jake Arrieta or or Lynn or Cobb or one of those guys. I mean, that's going to be. I've, God, I just feel that bad. Is for the Reds. Be, that is an arms race of a division. That is based. That's pretty close to the AL East. I mean, because if the AL East is kind of two team right now, the Yankees and the Red Sox, because. I would have said the Rays had a shot if they'd added a piece instead of selling everything or selling everything away. But they're the Rays, and I don't. I honestly don't feel like baseball should even be in Florida at this point. 
give a team to Montreal and give a team to like Nashville or Memphis or something. Yeah. Just get them out of there because no team in Florida is going to succeed when you just in you have you decide that you oh I need like a forty million dollar team I can't I can't have a hundred million dollar team I need some money. Yeah, it's it's just bleak down there. There's there's a lot more going on than uh, than meets the eye. I think the I think you have a lot of um, population of people that are not native Floridians, you know, so they're bringing their their allegiances. I mean you could do a breakdown of the fandom in the state and you probably see, you know, half Yankees fans who relocated. I would, I would actually agree. Inc- that's, including that's Derek true. Jeter. Yeah. That's going to be the thing. Is it, is it a, a collusion for him to make the Yankees better, even though he's retired now? Well, you know, he's, uh, he's getting, getting money under the table. I'm sure. I mean, it's, it's not been a great start. He's, he's going to quickly try to take the role away from Michael Jordan as the worst player to become a GM. Yeah, that's true. That was that was pretty bad stuff when when Jordan stepped in there in Charlotte. Now, speaking of the Braves, though, like I do, I do want to bring this back to the Braves real quick and just kind of expound <laughs> a little bit on this year because I don't want to go too far afield on the rest of the Major League Baseball because who cares about them? I don't know really what to expect this year. Like you said, there's about eight arms competing for five spots. And Thopolis today was was talking on uh, on one of the radio stations here in Atlanta and saying that there's three spots that are nailed down. And that's Julio, that's McCarthy, and that's Fultonevich. So that leaves you Casimir, Newcomb, Sims, Freed, Gohara. Those are the five that are fighting for the next spots. They may still say Soroka and Allard, but those two aren't competing for a spot right now. The only way no. Soroka is going to start up, and it won't be Allard especially, if Soroka, to, for Soroka to earn a spot, like four of those guys would have to get hurt. Knock on wood. Um, right. I think I lean more towards Newcomb and Gohara earning those spots, honestly, because that's three righties. I would imagine they're going to split it up with some lefties as well. I don't think it would necessarily shock me if Gohara starts the season in AAA for the simple point of Anthopolis said earlier this offseason that they weren't building for the best opening day roster. They were building for the best six months. So it would not necessarily shock me if the guys with little to no options left are up there to see if they can get any sort of trade value. But I would hate to see it. Well, and some of the guys that, you, that you're looking at to fill the role, like Scott Casimir, Scott Casimir's trade value is, is nil. Nothing. And that's, Nothing. I mean, you, you, if you're going to have to eat all the money anyway, just keep him around as long as you can. And I mean, he was topping out at 80, Seven eighty eight. Eighty seven so, eighty eight from a guy. You remember when he came up and he was throwing ninety seven ninety eight? I mean he was he was really, really strong for a couple he was, of years. He was Sean Newcomb before Sean Newcomb, where it was mm-hmm. came up through incredibly hard, didn't know where it was going. And I don't I don't I can't see like out of if we've got eight options, I, I see Casimir as the eighth. I, w- I could see a scenario where Lucas Sims um would take the a final starter role over Scott Casimir. Uh, I, I think that you're right that Newcomb and Gahara have the have the inside track. Freed, I think Freed's so interesting. You know, I, want, he, he I was, want Freed to get that spot because I don't think Freed has the same trade value as Sean Newcomb because he's not as established and because I think some of the shine came off him because of some of the problems he had. You talk about the he he was a year behind because of the Tommy John and then last mm-hmm. year he dealt with. The, the back and the blisters and some really, really bad luck, frankly, in the minors. His peripherals 
weren't nearly as bad as his double A numbers would indicate. That's true. And he did he dominated the AFL. But a little context on that, I do believe he was older than most of his AFL mm. competition by at least a year or two, if I believe, right? He was a little bit older than everybody. That's right. So I don't get as up in arms. I, I really like Max Fried. I liked him a lot when we acquired him. People forget he was rated he was thought of almost as highly as uh, Lucas Giolito when they were in high school together when they were teammates out in California. Yeah, and he got he got kind of jerked around last year a little bit and and not even, you know, going from such an unusual track going from Rome to Mississippi to Atlanta back to Gwinnett and then to the AFL and he's kind of he's kind of on the outside looking in. I mean, and he he profiles as a starter. Like to me using him out of the bullpen agree. He doesn't. Yeah. It's not like he's going to get a real uptick by putting him in the pin. Some guys, if you put them like like Lucas Sims, his stuff will play up an extra two or three miles an hour if he's in the bullpen than than opposed to being a starter. Max Freed has a very very easy delivery. There's not any real effort involved in it, so it's not like he's going to gain anything special by going into the pin. Not to mention, I think he's like a Glavin type, where it takes him an inning or two to really sink in. Yeah, and and I think the same, and I think that he could really benefit from from starting the year at Gwinnett and being first man up in case you know, Gahara was dealing with uh, groin trouble. I think it was. Right, right Ironically, now, he still hasn't he started right now. Right, and uh, picture this: Luis Gahara hurt himself going for a run. You know that. What a- <laughs> I said this. I don't need Gahara to run. I no. will. I will volunteer to be his. I will bring him his food. I will hold it up to his mouth for him to take a bite. For a modest <laughs> retainer, I will I will personally feed that man. Brigadero needs to be kept in bubble wrap because at this point he is the most exciting arm that all of us Braves fans are going to get to see. He was the hardest throwing lefty in baseball when he was up and he is the guy he is the guy that I look at as as out of this entire group besides if you know, I'm I'm not going to say Joey wins here because no one will agree. I think like that's just me personally. My own, I don't have a real great explanation. But Joey Wentz is my guy, but Luis Gohara is that guy that everybody can look at and just see that incredible upside. That's why everybody makes the the comparison to CC Sabathia, which I did as well. Obviously, because of the way they look, their throwing motions are, are almost identical. Mm-hmm. Um, but it really is that electric of stuff. And if anything, he throws harder than CC. And his slider is better than CC's. The only thing with Gohara is if he does not get back soon, I said this before when I was talking on, I was on one of the stations here in Atlanta. Um, the problem with Gohara is he has significantly more to work on than a guy even like Newcomb or even a guy like Freed because at this point, he's really only two pitches that are major league caliber. And his changeup, I like that he's working on it. It's come a long way from not having one at all when he came to Atlanta. Last year was his first real year of throwing it, and it wasn't great, but it was at least semi-effective in starts. But it's got to come a long way for him to be effective deep into games for a full season. He's definitely one to, to keep an eye on. He he had the, that same kind of Acuna-esque ascent. He started in, started in high A and just... You know, everywhere he went, he yeah, he was he was kind of like everybody thought that he had the high potential, but he was looked at as being behind Soroka and Allard, and it didn't take long for him to blow by those two. And there were some moments last year, just watching him when he got to Atlanta, where 
you can't do anything other than just as soon as you you, you see some of the movement on his pitches, just go. And he's got some amazing traits. Oh my god! I've talked about this four or five times. His willingness to pitch on the inside corner to righties, it seems like something small for a twenty-one-year-old pitcher. That is not small. That is something that you see veteran pitchers do. Like you're because you're basically you're pitching against what common perception should be where going across to the inside on a righty gives him a little bit more time to look at it, but you throw so hard and your the angle of your arm creates enough deception that you're tying people up. When you're throwing 97, 98, you're going to solve a ton of bats. And a lot of hitters don't expect that. And a lot of hitters don't like seeing 97 mile an hour from a lefty. Who's got kind of a three quarter slot. Don't like seeing that come in. Cause that crap hurts. It says a lot about him, his willingness to just go after anybody. Like he, he's not afraid. And there, there's, it's good and a, bad. Intent is really important with it, you know. And sometimes the the results aren't going to quite match up. But even having that same bulldog mentality, where it's like, I dare you to hit this, you know, I'm going to put it where I want. And if if you think you can hit it, well, then go ahead. But uh, more often than not, that's going to give him the ability to just kind of get away with some some things. It's what they call in football terms good versus good, where it's my best against your best. And Gohara kind of embodies that. Yeah. It's, it's where yeah. I'm I a power guy. You may be a power hitter. Let's see you hit this. And he'll he will give up some monster shots this year. And I actually do think he will struggle a little bit this year because I am convinced of this. The rookie year for players is not the hardest year. It is whether it could be the end of that rookie year, but it's the second year that's harder, the first half of that second season, because everybody now has tape on you. You're not a surprise anymore. So all the veterans and the major leaguers are going to make their adjustments. So now they're going to start hurting you, and you have to make your adjustments in turn. That's the part that separates so many prospects from elite players. The game, listen, everybody except for Tim Tebow, at this level, and Russell Wilson are talented, are very talented. You're talking about, what, the 1% of players that ever pick up a ball that make it to the major leagues, and that's if it's 1%, it's probably worth, probably lower than that. Everybody here deserves to be here on talent alone. Walt Weiss deserved to be there on talent alone. The difference is baseball, what, make, what separates it, and that, I know you're giggling at me, but uh, what separates baseball from those other sports is, is it's not just innate talent. You have to be able to adjust on the fly as well. And that's where a lot of Dansby's troubles came in last year. And I may rag on Dansby, and I guarantee you I will at least four or five podcasts. It probably won't take for another podcast for me to start ragging on him again. But it doesn't like I I don't think he's gonna be a bust because this was really his first his his second season into it. People had tape on him now. And they see what he struggles with. Now the onus is on him to make those adjustments. It's the thing that Francoeur couldn't do, where the out, the low and outside pitch, it's a killer. Instead of changing his swing or changing the way that he approached at the plate, that was always a weakness for him. So now the onus is on that young player to figure out what they're doing and to, to close that hole. It's the same thing that happened with Jason Hayward, where pitchers adjusted to him. They adjusted to that weird hitch in his swing that for some reason nobody fixed. And he could never adjust in turn. So I'm not going to sit here and say that Gohara is going to come out here with a 250 ERA and he's going to win a Cy Young in the second year. I actually think he'll struggle a little bit. And Braves fans being Braves fans and fans in general being 
fans in general, you're going to have a lot of people that are going to talk about, oh, wow, that was just a fluke the year ago. He's not that good. And I fully expect to hear that, and I will laugh in your face. What have you done for me lately? You know, you saw, saw it with Dansby, you know, and there there could be there could be some more of that this year. Newcomb might just completely fall apart. I expect Albies apart. to struggle. In his, yep. I expect him to struggle in the first half. But he, the adjustments that he made, too, when he went from Mississippi up to Gwinnett, struggled the first time, but the second time through Gwinnett, he dominated. When he... Or once, uh, once he came back from from the broken elbow and he was fully recovered, then he dominated. And he didn't really have a whole lot of struggles when he got up to Atlanta. But the sample size is really took, similar well, to what happened with to Dansby in 2016. Don't forget, so. it took Albie's probably three or four weeks before he really settled in. True, that is that he is struggled. True. He struggled more off the bat than Dansby did. Now, by the end of the year, he was showing everybody why we were so in love with him all that speed he actually has way more power than anybody anticipated i i honestly would not be shocked to see ozzy albies hit 15 to 17 home runs this year i really wouldn't oh i could absolutely see that he's got he he's so quick you know not not just when he's out out running but like his his hands are so quick and he just turns he's, so he's, fast he's explosive in his hips and i'm just talking about mm-hmm. that turning fast he's so explosive through his hips and he generates a lot of loft and swing I expect big, big things from Albies. I am super excited about that. I'm excited about Camargo after putting another 10 pounds on this offseason. That's why I'm not – I don't – people talk about Mustakis. I have a number in my head for Mustakis. Maybe you'll agree. Maybe you won't. My number for Mike Mustakis is if he would do a two-year and – a two-year and $24 million deal. I think I would do that. Or maybe you say maybe you say a 5-year or a 4-year deal worth 15 per with an opt out after 2. Make it front loaded the same way the same way that they did the JD Martinez contract. You know, I'm I'm not super averse to having Mustakas on this team. I I think that you know, being a left-handed power hitter, I think he could benefit from being at SunTrust. I think that he could uh, put up some some pretty gaudy numbers and fill the third third base question Adequately. and also yeah and and he would also uh, add some some power to the lineup but at the same time I think if they were going to sign him I think they should have done it by I now agree. I know that they were, I think they would have done it by now and and I, I don't want to harp too much on on the copygate thing but losing all the prospects I know that Braves still have. Uh, arguably the best farm system in all of baseball, but you lost the 14 guys, 13 prospects, and you lost the draft pick. Well, if you sign Mustakas, then you're losing another one. And it's just and a you, fourth round pick, so it's not anything crazy. But when you lost 13 players, you lost a ton of depth. Right. And and those guys were bubbling way under the surface. We're talking DSL, GCL guys. Um, and uh, I, I wouldn't be furious if they signed him, but if the whole point is to let the kids play, if Anthopolis says he wants to figure out what he's got, take a year to see what he has and all that good stuff. Then I think you just got to let Camargo and Rio go for it over at third. And and I, I'm not averse to that either. I, I would prefer Mustakas at 12 because I'm really leery of signing people off of career years. Most of the time, um, especially career years when the rest of their peripherals don't support that that's sustainable. Uh, like like I said with Mustakis, the thing with Mustakis is at this 
last year was the 38 home runs amazing. That's awesome. You take that any day and twice on Sunday. The problem is that was just about all he was bringing. There wasn't an on-base percentage. He was not like an Arenado type on defense where he's he's got soft hands and he's got range. He has pretty soft hands. He just has zero range. Uh, he's always like he he's if there's one thing you can count on, he's going to miss 20 or 30 games a season. Um, I that's a guy that I would not want to take a big shot on just because I don't trust him to stay healthy for one. And I don't trust him to duplicate it until he duplicates it. But I'm not worried about blocking Riley. I think that's a stupid thing to be worried about. If you're telling like if you were to tell me right now that I could have Josh Donaldson and it wouldn't cost me $20 million, do that in a heartbeat. I don't care if it's I don't care if Austin Riley's right there. If Austin Riley's not better than Josh Donaldson, then he can stay in the minor leagues and he may get better or I may draft Nolan Gorman. If you have too many good players that are vying for one position, that's a really good problem. Right. To have. It's not like you can't trade any of them. And with Mustakis, I think you know, draft pick aside and, and defensive range and all that aside, I think when you look at the opening day payroll from last year, I want to say it was around 120, 125 million. And current, currently it's sitting at $106 million. If you're going to add Moustakis to that, you have to be positive that, that excuse me, you have to be positive that he's going to be worth it. Say you said two for 24, let's say they front load it and they give him $15 million this year. And that, that brings payroll to 121 million. Well, it seems kind of strange. I know they took on all the money for McCarthy and Casimir, and they're still paying Adrian Gonzalez, even though they, they cut him immediately just to clear up some money for Kemp. But if Mustakis is going to be making $15 million, I almost think there's got to be some type of reason why they've scaled the payroll back $15 million, $20 million off of what it was last year. Even with the revenue generated from the battery, I'm not entirely convinced that there's not something going on behind the scenes where they might be trying to kind of minimize the debt because somebody... Speaking of that, that is actually the final point I want to make in this before we get ready for our interview with Gabe. Andy brought this up. I believe it was Andy. I still believe it was Andy. Andy, if it, if it was you, take a bow. Andy, if it wasn't you, take credit for it anyway. It's, it's yours now. Um, Ken, I know you mentioned this too. Ken, Ken's against the idea for the most part. Or Ken said, or, or at least on my Twitter post, he didn't agree with that it was going to happen. What we're talking about is one of the questions, and I thought it was a great question, actually made me think about it a lot, and it would tend to make sense for what's happening. With them scaling back this payroll, not going after any of the free agents, um, Liberty media not being really based in Atlanta. So not really having like a personal stake in the Braves like Ted Turner did. W- would they really be prepping to sell the Braves right now? Cause if you think about it logically, this would be the best point to sell the Braves because they have that great farm system. They've got a ton of talent that is right on the cusp of hitting the pros. There's going to be a ton of money available for a free agent bonanza. So an ownership group could come in step in, make a couple moves to add to that payroll, add one or two players, and all of a sudden, you've got an instant postseason competitor on that team and one that should be built to to be competitive and win their division, really, for the next three or four years, at least. If there's ever been a perfect storm for them, for somebody to buy the team, not necessarily for Liberty to sell it, but for somebody to step in and buy, if it's somebody that's got a vested interest in the Braves, I think going into next year's free agent class, 
where, I mean, I don't think the Braves are going to sign Harper, but somebody like Donaldson, somebody like Machado, somebody like uh, Kershaw is probably not going to opt Keuchel. out. But if he does, Dallas Keuchel, you know, then you could see a scenario where it's like, all right, we got all this young talent that's going to be making five hundred eighty-five thousand, six hundred thousand. Yeah, half your roster is going to be making minimum. Yeah, and so you can afford to add these guys, and then if you're buying into the battery in the new stadium, like once the team starts winning, you're going to grow exponentially like that. So it's just it's really interesting, and 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 I've I've seen a lot of speculation about you know you know why is the payroll so much lower? We perfect example. Okay, during the trade deadline last year for the Jaime Garcia deal, everybody got. Got Me included, very mad that it was Waskari Noah and we didn't get anything, that we didn't really get anything of substance for, for who had essentially been your best pitcher. And then he turned around and got flipped to the Yankees for, for a package that people were saying was not as good as what, as what the Braves got. And then you come to find out a couple of months later, oh yeah, people hated dealing with John Coppolella. You know, so it, it, we start to get information after the fact where you look back on it now and you say, oh, well, it makes sense. Maybe that really was the best deal. And maybe, you know, if we had known that nobody wanted to deal with him back then, it maybe would have not justified it, but it would have made it a little bit more a little sense. Bit. It wouldn't have, right. wouldn't have gone off the deep end because when we got Oscar, you know, I was very, very angry because I remember personally, I wanted to do a package with the Yankees and I and I don't know if this would have actually worked out the way that I hope it would have, but I would have been offering Jaime and Aroidas and tried to get Miguel and Duhar or Jorge Mateo, who ended up going to Oakland. I the, felt and, that that could have worked. And at the time, the Yankees looked like they could have used Matt Adams because they just had this revolving cast of characters going in at first base. They're calling up uh, a couple of guys that just weren't really weren't really moving the needle too much. Does the Matt Adams one make you shake your head that they didn't find that they didn't deal him? I think when you look at the fact that they opted to instead move Freddie Freeman to third base, I, I think it makes, I thought for it, sure that that meant that they were looking to trade him because they were going to show that he wasn't being hamstrung that, well, Oh yeah, we can move him here. He's because the worst thing you want to do is show a team that you've got two guys that can only play one position. Because now they're not going to offer you anything of value because they know you basically have to get rid of them. But I think that a lot of GMs were kind of calling the bluff, saying, "Okay, we we get it. We see what you're doing." You know, Copy was a was a great, or he was a a pretty good GM. You know, what whether or not he was great will be determined over the next couple of years when you see some of these um, some of these prospects start coming Although, up. Bear in but mind, not- bear in mind, Acuna and Albie's Frank Rand guys. True story, but. It's not like the other 29 GMs are all rubes, you know, <laughs> right? They're not like, all Dave Stewart, right? Th- right. Exactly. So, so, you know, when you look at where we are now with, with Liberty media and with the payroll, where it is, it might not make sense for, for a couple of months or a year when you find out mid season, Oh, Arthur blank is going to buy the Braves or somebody, you know? So, um, it's, Who's the owner for Lowe's? I want to see the owner of Lowe's by the Braves. That way, <laughs> they directly compete with the Falcons for my money. It's going to be Mark Cuban. He's uh, Mark Cuban's going to step in and uh, and buy the Braves. Please no. Well, he's he's made a money with Elon is, Musk. Uh, Elon Musk, would you like to own a, a baseball please, team? Please, please fire a tomahawk out into space. <laughs> I would pay good money to see that. I yeah, put a put a 
a homing device on the on the tomahawk. We can watch it in orbit. You know, it could be chopping as the Braves are winning the World Series in uh, in twenty nineteen and twenty twenty. I was gonna say twenty twenty one. Market Braves World Series. It's gonna happen. I I would be curious to know um, if there if there's something bigger at stake, or if everybody's just looking at this free agent market, going, "This guy's got his warts. That guy's got his warts." I mean, none of these guys are slam dunk free agents. Darvish, JD Martinez, Arietta, Mustakis, all of them. I mean. Not right. not it's, only that, but they were asking for so much money. The only one that really shocks me is J.D. Martinez. I thought for sure he'd get more money than he got. And it kind of speaks to the more analytically minded GMs in place now. They realize that ideally you're only going to play DH. You're not really going to play left field unless you absolutely have to. And I do think it has more to do with they're just not going to get caught up in those Miguel Cabrera type contracts, those Albert Pujols deals um, than anything. Because if you if you think about it, it wasn't two or three years ago that a 40 home run year was getting you a $180 million contract. Mm-hmm. It's well-rounded players have always been a big commodity, but especially now with so much data at the disposal. I mean, guys that hit 20 something home runs and can't hit. We were talking about Keon Broxton earlier, a guy that can hit a lot of home runs, but doesn't, really do anything all that great those guys are a dime a dozen anymore your boy brett phillips he's got pop and he's just i don't know if he can hit for an average yeah he's got a fantastic laugh oh, he's got that he also has maybe the strongest outfield arm in the game yes he uh yeah saw him uh saw a video of him getting clocked uh 105 from the outfield yeah and one, uh, of, the, one of the actually, fastest in the stack he there. was actually tweeting at mlb the show because they only had his arm at like an 86 <laughs> That's fantastic. All right, that about wraps us up for a bit. Make sure you stay with us. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to have our interview with Gabe Burns, the newest, youngest, best Braves reporter at the AJC. We come back from that. Make sure you stick with us just for a bit right here on Platinum Sombrero. El Platinum Sombrero. I don't know how to say platinum in Spanish. I think it's still platinum. Uh, whatever. Let's go to break. He told me he was done, and I there he goes. Oh, there he goes I indeed. He done, Deep left and gone. His first big league hit is a home run. All right, everybody, welcome back to the Platinum Sombrero. I'm Dylan. Doc's over here with me. Joining us today, our very first guest, the esteemed Mr. Gabe Burns. Gabe, how are you doing, sir? Doing pretty good. Thanks for having me on, guys. It is a pleasure. I've been meaning to talk to you ever since you first got in on the AJC. Mm-hmm. I know Doc's been talking to you a bit. What's it like mm-hmm. What's it like jumping in there? Because you came in in June, correct? Yeah, yeah. I showed up last June actually as an intern, so uh, I've kind of – things are a lot different than they were then, so it's been like a quick – what is that? Nine months? I'm not good at math. But, uh, <laughs> Close yeah, to somewhere th- around there. Things have, 
things have gone things have gone pretty quickly but it's been really awesome because <clears throat> for like the year and a half before that i was writing about the dodgers and i was really away from the braves and so uh, it's it's been really cool interacting and getting to know everybody it's like i'm I got to know a lot of Dodgers people, and now I'm really getting to know a lot of Braves people. So that that aspect of it's been a lot of fun. Social media is great. So did you come in knowing more about AA than any of the any of us? Did you ever interact with him when you were covering the Dodgers? Uh, no, no, no. I, I never interacted with him. Um, first time I met him was his press conference. Um, I sat down with him one on one afterwards, and we kind of just shot the breeze a little bit, and I got to know a little bit about him. <clears throat> Unfortunately, I never had the opportunity to um, talk to any executives when I was writing about the Dodgers because I was doing it from Georgia. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah, when, when I was when I was wrapping up in college, so I was fortunate enough that I did manage to start building some relationships with players and agents during that time. But obviously, with the geographical situation, I didn't do too much talking with the executives. Oh, you go there. ahead and name drop. Who are, who are the players that you you got to? talk too much <laughs> um i'm not really going to get into that too much but I'll, I'll say this um a buddy of mine willie calhoun is now oh yeah with, with the rangers big old power yeah. from a little guy yeah 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 and uh one of my favorite features i ever did was with him and we talked for a good while and he's a really good guy and um i can't i can't i can't really say <laughs> he's, he's just a great he's just a great dude and i'm rooting really hard for him and He's really the number one guy as far as people that I got to interact with a lot and kind of get to know and follow. And I was disappointed when I saw when I heard that the Dodgers had traded him, but at the same time, he's going to be a better fit in the AL anyway. You know how many home runs he's going to hit in that ballpark? Yeah, and he's not going to have to play defense. (laughs) (laughs) I wasn't going to say that about your buddy, but um, so that that'll be good for him. No, I mean he was. He was always aware of it. You, know, you kind of you're in. You start to get to know a lot of these players. I like the guys who are really honest and just you know they know they have weaknesses. Everybody has weaknesses. So we Bryce Harper probably our not your favorite guy. <laughs> actually, I, I, I shouldn't say this. I'm actually a Harper fan. Oh no! But um, yeah, yeah, yeah. We won't get we won't get any more into that. <laughs> Doc, Doc, you didn't tell it me was, this. It was easier when I yeah it was easier when I talked to the Dodgers people and I could say yeah I really like Harper because they didn't care I can't say it now I can't I can't say anything about Harper now uh, you'll you get know. stoned they'll march on you yeah exactly exactly but no um, my time writing about the Dodgers really helped and prepared me so as soon as I started doing more with the Braves it kind of it's a lot different when you're there every day of course um, that's a whole nother world but at least it gave me the background and I had been able to interact with different people in the industry before so that that i don't want to undersell that helps a lot that's it's really cool it's, it's cool to see somebody that went from being intern right into it and happened this close instead of like yeah i was an intern 12 years ago and just got into the gig <laughs> you know makes me feel bad for you know being just looking at it at least close to the same age still interning <laughs> but whatever you know no uh, man it's <laughs> I, I i got i got lucky breaks i mean i'm i'm very fortunate like the, the breaks come, man. Just always keep always keep your head up. I mean, look where I'm at now. I'm recording a top-notch. You got your own podcast, man. Right. That's how it all begins. I got to ask first off, do you know what a Platinum Sobrero is? No idea. You do? No, no idea. Oh, no. Oh, Doc? Platinum Sobrero is five strikeouts in the same game. 
Really? Yeah. No, I've never uh, heard that. I hadn't yeah, heard it for a while. We called it the Olympic Rings back in my day. Yeah, the golden sombrero is for four. It's platinum for five, and I think it's uh, either Holly double Biden's. platinum or titanium for for six. I think one guy is. Uh, I, saying, I think Javi has, Baez is the last person I know of that actually wore a platinum sombrero. If you struck a lot out of swinging and missing, if you struck out six times in one game. You might just want to call it retired. That's but gonna really. that's gonna drop the average a bit. <laughs> Now, I don't want to take up all the time myself because Doc is being very patient and not yelling at me to shut up. So we're going to grill you with a bunch of awesome questions here. And I don't like to brag, but these are some pretty in-depth questions. Mm-hmm. Well, if we're doing the, the baseball-specific ones first, one thing that, that, I'm, uh, that I was really, really curious about is in the last eight, nine months, I know that you've had a chance to uh, get a lot more comfortable with uh, with the players and and your just your surroundings with the Braves, and I'm just curious about how what type of uh, change in the vibe from from when you first came on and uh, from the end of last season when uh, Capoello was still around to now early in spring training. What has the evolution kind of been like? Um, well, as you as you've heard, uh, things got kind of tense. There at the I, end, as far as down the stretch, uh, September, uh, that whole area. I'll. It's still look, Alex. Alex has said this numerous times. It's really a feeling out process. It's a learning process, and you read. I know you. People will read a lot of quotes, and they'll think this is cliche stuff that GMs say. This man's being serious. That he's coming in here. He doesn't want to have all the answers. He's just been trying to kind of find, figure out this organization that faced the facts that was once top five franchise in sports as far as you, when you're factoring in everything, basically, from the you know, 93 on. And it just sank. And things weren't good there, to be blunt about it. And so as far as what you see in a change, I mean – we're like five games into spring training. <laughs> right, February so, uh, matters. These are these are these are changes that if you come back to me in like se- in next September, you know, that it would be easier for me to s- assess it, you know, and not not to mention that I wasn't around all of last season anyway. So what I saw was kind of I got a taste of it starting in June, and then really started to kind of figure out things were going south. Not too long after that, from so, I'm so sorry. from my perspective, I don't have it. I don't have that much to compare it to. Not having been around an organization and in a clubhouse, and as far as far as the players go, the players try not to concern themselves with that kind of stuff. Um, went went up to SunTrust. When was this? November, maybe, and talked to some of the pitching prospects. And when the when the investigation was still going on, and. Talked to Allard and Soroka a little bit about it, and they were both just adamant. You know, we see it on social media like anyone else does, but we don't. it has nothing to do with us. I mean, obviously, they weren't subjects of the investigation. So, right. So, you know, for the most part, unless, unless it was one of the guys who was being investigated, they didn't really want to pay attention to it, just kind of move along. And I think Alex, I think Alex is really the perfect guy. Obviously, Dayton Moore was somebody that they were really interested in, but I would argue they did better with the direction they went. Alex worked in a very crowded and experienced front office in L.A. 
And I, and if you're the Braves, you're wanting to rebuild your culture. There's from the very top down. They just kind of needed a little a, a little bit of an overhaul, basically. And when you look at the Dodgers, I mean, not even counting wins and losses, just the the culture that's there. Like take payroll out of it, take wins and losses out of it. They've got a really good clubhouse. These guys get along. They've got they know how to find the perfect mix of vets and bringing the rookies. You're getting you're getting the Bellingers and the Seegers just like just like here, where you've got top young prospects trying to make an impact. You had it there. So there are some comparables. Again, taking out market and that type of stuff. And I think Alex, and again, Toronto fans loved this guy. He didn't leave because he had a bad job. So I feel like he kind of fell into the Braves' laps. And this wasn't, this was, he wasn't just going to take any job. So as far as how much change have we seen, I think he's still in the process of bringing in his own guys. I think there's going to be more changes coming up in the next year. So that's hard to assess right now, but it does it does feel like we are at the beginning of a pretty big transition. Do you think, uh, do you think Brian Snicker remains his coach or do you think he's going to bring in his own guy? Um, that's another, uh, <laughs> that's another September question really. Um, because I mean, if, if they win 86 games, you know, even if Alex had his mind made up the second he got here, you know, I'm going to give this year and then get my own guy. If they win 86 games, odds are he's not going to go and try to get his own guy. So I think that's really fluid. Uh, it depends on, and it depends on what they're they're holding him to as well. I mean, they didn't exactly go out and say we're going to try to make a drastic improvement this year. That's not really a secret. The only deal you made was taking on more money now, so you could have more money to spend theoretically next winter. So it's not like they're putting pressure on Snip to have a big season, you know. Um, so that's kind of that's kind of tough to answer. I know a lot of fans have really strong opinions on it. So I'm just gonna I'm gonna have to take. I'm gonna have to. You know, I was hoping the, for the fireball answer. I was hoping for the big yeah, old opinion yeah, I'm there. Kind of. I'm gonna have to kind of give the political answer and just say we'll see what happens. All right, I've got a maybe this one will maybe this one will get you going on it. Uh, who since since you've been down there a little bit, uh, who's the guy right now that you would project to have a breakout year? Somebody that that we might not be expecting. So not Freddie Freeman, obviously. Uh, who, Someone you're not expecting, right? Not Freddie, not Ender, not anybody that's already done it. Who's somebody that can have an actual breakout year this year? Dude, uh, can I name a minor leaguer? You sure can. Absolutely. Okay. Okay. Well, that kind of opens opens things up a little bit. Well, this isn't this isn't a surprise, but I'm gonna say I'm gonna say him anyway, and I'm I'm, I'm gonna think about it and try to give you a surprise afterwards. But and I haven't seen him pitch since I've been down here. He only pitched once, and I wasn't I wasn't here yet when he did. Every veteran I've spoken with has spoke glowingly about Soroka, and I know you hear this stuff all the time. You hear it about these top prospects, but this is unprompted. Each uh, several veterans, Tyler Flowers, thinks the world of the kid. Uh, they just continue to bring up Soroka. I've heard Soroka brought up more than Acuna. Really? Uh, wow. Way, way more than any other uh, pitcher, without question. Uh, 
uh, Brandon McCarthy compared him to Matt Cain today in how he prepares and called him a bulldog. He loves him. Uh, Tyler Tyler Flowers, he said, uh, he called a, he thinks this changeup is going to be his his thing, as he said it, his deceptive changeup. They just, I, I talked to Alex Jackson, who he just, he loves him too. I mean, it doesn't matter if it's a 22-year-old or a 33-year-old. I mean, they're all talking about Mike Soroka. And again, I haven't seen the guy pitch yet while I've been down here. I'm, look, I'm looking forward to talking to him myself, hopefully tomorrow, but uh, lots of praise his way, so don't be surprised if he starts the year in AAA. And and who knows from there? I think he doesn't even turn 21 until toward the end of the season. So <laughs> so who knows how, how soon we can see him. But if the, if the front office and the uh, coaching staff feels as strongly as the players do, I, I mean, a September call-up is certainly in the cards. I've seen uh, so, seen some pictures of Soroka uh, learning from Hudson, and Hudson was speaking in uh, in glowing terms about Soroka as well. I'm I'm really excited about him. I, so I know you his... just got Doc all tingly. Yeah, I love <laughs> Soroka's calm demeanor, and just he just seems so unflappable, and he's like a sponge. Like he just seems so committed to to learning every single thing about the craft. So to to hear that that's not just uh, me making that up. That's, uh, that's really exciting. Yeah. I mean, like, look at it, forget, forget the numbers, forget where he's ranked as a prospect, forget what you've even seen on the field. You go and talk to somebody, you can all, you can get a vibe. And this is a kid who everything he says, he's extremely detailed oriented. He's well-spoken. He just, there's, there's certain people who just get it, you know, and right. he's, I mean, it's very, it was very clear. I met him, uh, I met him at SunTrust uh, toward, toward the end of last year. He was there and got to talk to him a little bit. I mean, it was a couple of sentences in. He's telling me about he likes to watch the playoffs because he just wants to study every single thing, every little, little thing a pitcher does, and he before every pitch, he's thinking, okay, what should this guy throw here? He sees what will he throw here? And just every, everything is just about studying. And I, I, I don't know. I'm not going to get into the prospect rankings and whatnot. Uh, I'm not one of those people. But it, it, <laughs> I'd be very surprised if this kid didn't become a you know top flight starter. That's good. Maybe I need him number to. One, maybe a number two. But you know, he's, he's a guy that you're going to want on your team and want in your rotation for a long time. I need him to. My very first piece at OFR, I said he was going to be Adam Wainwright. <laughs> well, I mean, hey, if uh, if McCarthy's right and he turns into he turns out to be Matt Cain before Matt Cain fell to pieces, that's an okay consolation. I'm not, okay with that. Yeah. <laughs> not bad either. One uh, one other guy that I was kind of curious about um, whether or not you think could be a breakout guy this year is Johan Camargo. I mean, the the third base battle has been one of the biggest questions going into going into spring training and everything that that you see out of him i mean he was kind of a a nothing prospect for even when the the system wasn't nearly what it is now and he's he keeps packing on the pounds and as he does that he keeps getting stronger and better he he performed great last year performed great in the dominican league and uh 
I think he could he could be the real deal. But I was curious uh, as whether or not you think he's a real deal, and if you have any insight whether or not uh, the team thinks he's the real deal. Yeah, no, no, I'm I'm a huge fan of his. I think he's great. Um, I wanted to see him playing more last year when you know before he kind of really started to play consistently. Um, he's definitely he's noticeably stronger. I know uh, that's that's definitely made it around on Twitter and whatnot. Uh, he hit a homer the other day to right. I was like, oh my god! <laughs> he, yeah, he, looked, he might have some power that uh, we didn't think was possible last year, and it, it just felt like all of last year people are trying to use numbers or whatever to kind of downplay this guy, and he just he just kept hitting. And I, I don't know. Man, I'll, I'll say this: I think he's got he's got a place on your team. Uh, the power thing is tricky because the reality is, is this team has got to add power if it plans on contending and that that's not going to be this year, obviously, but if you're going into next winter and you've got a lot of money available and a guy like Josh Donaldson is on the free agent market, then it, you know, all of a sudden, you know, there's talks that need to be had. And, but as far as Camargo goes, you know, if, if a guy like Dan, if Dansby, if he, if what we saw last year was, you know, not was who he is. Wait a minute. Close to who is he Gabe is. Burns about to agree with me about Dansby Swanson? No, I'm not not. no, no. I don't. I don't have takes on players like that. I can't because I know. I know. I know. I'm around. <laughs> but I'm just saying that if if it doesn't, if it ends up not working out, then maybe Camargo's your shortstop. You know. I was just going to uh, tell uh, you real quick. You have no idea the amount of hearts you just made stop on Brave Twitter right now. <laughs> Look, no, it's not. It's not that. It's just a matter of when you have you have to consider you have to consider every option. A lot of times, you have to think about the worst case scenario. You know, it's like it's like last year when the Braves have Garcia, Dickey, and Cologne. You know, who was talking about the worst case scenario? I, I don't think it unfolded, but it, it cer- certainly wasn't great. You know, it did. It didn't pan out like they wanted. And I know everybody loves Dansby, and I think Dansby will be fine. But if you know, for whatever reason, he can't turn it around, then it helps to have a guy like that. Uh, so, yeah, I, I think Camargo could play. This will be big because maybe maybe he starts at third, he gets exposed, and you're, you're looking at a guy who's just a great utility player who doesn't need to start. And at that point, it's a lot easier to go out and spend money on a guy like Donaldson to plug into your lineup. So... And of course, you've got the Austin Riley factor that everyone uh, that you've continued to hear is we don't want to block Riley. I hate that. I hate that term. Famous phrase. Yeah, and I and I I'll I'll say this: I completely understand why people hate that. Um, Because when I was a baseball fan, I suppose you'd say um, I was never a huge prospect guy. As far as let's bank on this prospect. Oh, we can't trade. I mean, no, you're not going to trade Acuna. You're not going to trade Corey Seager. But there's a point where it's like, okay, you know, let's let's move some of these guys. Let's do something. And as far, I think here, here's what here's what I'll say is, where people are reading this, we don't want to block Riley. People are reading this as if the Braves think that Riley's another chipper or something. Alex has just maintained he wants to see what's in place before doing something. So he's not going to cash in a bunch of assets or spend the money for. A, you know, a third baseman when 
he's got a slugging third baseman in place who's going to be good to go. I'm I not think, saying Riley is that guy. Just I think mm-hmm. that we're kind of viewing it as vacuum. Oh, we don't want to block Riley. It's like they think that Riley's great or something. I, it's just a matter of learning what you have in place. I think the fans kind of take that one a little bit differently than what Alex is actually trying to say. I think when mm-hmm. fans hear, when the fans hear, we're not going to block it, and the fans will say, Austin's going to be chipper, so we can't block him with somebody like Donaldson. I think Alex is really more saying, I'm not going to bring in somebody else who might be more of a stopgap. I don't think anybody would view Donaldson as like a, a placeholder until Riley's ready. You add Donaldson to a lineup because Donaldson is a get-you-over-the-hump type of piece. Donaldson is a, a next-level type of piece. It's not the same as, as adding a Mike Moustakis this offseason would be, where if Mike Moustakis goes back to his norms, then you're paying 10 to $15 million for something that ideally Austin Riley could give you in the next year or two, depending on whenever he's ready, if everything goes as planned. Um, my question now, something about the, something that you just wrote. Tell us a little bit about Preston Tucker, because the, the thing with the Astros, he intrigued me a lot when he first came up in Houston as a, le- a big left-handed power guy. And I, I honestly, I really thought he was going to be a lot more well-rounded at this point, and a lot more established at this point. I knew he wasn't his brother, Kyle, but I thought he would have established himself at the very least as as an average major league player. Yeah, uh, one of the things about that is not all of it was on him because the Astros are stacked. So if you took Tucker and put him on an average organization, I think that he would have had more of an opportunity. Like last year, for instance, him not playing at all. I mean, he would have played for the majority of teams. I'm not going to go through every one of them, but I'm, I'm guessing he probably could have found a spot on, you know, 20 or so teams. And so that doesn't help uh, that he just simply got passed up by, you know, the George Springers of the world, guys who are just out of this world talents. I think Tucker, one thing that was interesting, I was talking to him about a change of scenery, and he was, a lot of guys would be more political about it. And he didn't, he didn't say anything bad. He just, he acknowledged that, that that's the case. He needed a change. And he's excited. He's growing up in Tampa. He grew up a he grew up a Braves, and he, he mentioned the Rays, but he also grew up a Braves fan. No Florida fan and, is a fan of Florida baseball. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, and so his parents are happy. He's there and everything. And he we'll we'll see we'll see what happens with it. Uh, I talked to him a little bit about you know the platoon role, which he's completely fine with. He did it some in Houston, and as he said, he had some successes, had some failures. And that he'd be platooning with Lane Adams, of course, Acuna. Uh, at this point, I do not think Acuna will be on the opening day roster, but that's not exactly a secret. Everyone knows kind of what the deal is with that, including him. So even when Acuna does come up, uh, if Tucker is, you know, if Tucker's doing okay and he's relegated to a, to a backup role because you're not calling Acuna up to sit on the bench, and he's okay with that too. So I think it's good. It's good to have a guy like that. It's, it's good to have Lane Adams is the exact same way. I talked to Lane last year about earning a, you know, earning a regular role, and he was completely fine. He said, you know, I like this pinch hitting thing. I, ha- I hadn't done it before this year, and he said I'm enjoying it. and I'm getting good at it. I, I like doing it. So I think it's important 
with and it's part of kind of what i was comparing with alex and the dodgers is you want guys who kind of know their role they're not trying to be more than they are and preston knows he's not a superstar and he knows that he's probably not gonna grab a starting outfield job by the horns and cling to it so i i do like that about him and i respect that about him and who knows i mean maybe the maybe the braves can benefit from it he hit 24 homers last year in triple a so, and, and honest to God, at this point, he might be one of the better power hitters on the team, considering how things are set up. <laughs> Definitely two or three. Um, uh, yeah, it's uh, it's it's a problem. The, the power the power thing is definitely a problem, and and they'll tell you that. But the market the market just didn't do them any favors there. I mean, everyone's criticizing them for not signing anybody. Most of the league isn't signing anybody, and all of these guys are asking for multi year deals, and the Braves just aren't going to do that. Same guys who want them to sign people now want them to start bidding for Machado next year, but that's not how it works because these guys, like I don't know what Mustau. I'm getting off topic here, but I don't know what a guy like Mustauskas is going to do when no teams seem to need a third baseman and this guy still wants a multi-year deal. You know, the JD Martinez so, has got to open a lot. The JD Martinez deal has to open a lot of eyes for the rest of the guys on this free agent market, and it kind of. It's almost like the opposite of watered down. There wasn't much power at all. I think, I honestly think it's that 2019 free agency class that's really killing the 2018 free agency. But I am going to go rogue here mm-hmm. for a second. That was I'm going to go rogue real quick. I got to ask you. We were talking about this a little bit earlier in the show. Between Alex Anthopoulos today said there's three spots nailed down. And that is Fulte, that's Tehran, and that's McCarthy. So between Casimir, mm-hmm. Newcomb, Gohara, Freed, Sims. What two are you saying are winning those jobs? Because there was a point earlier this year where Alex also said he wasn't building for the best opening day roster. He was building for the best six months. So that kind of leads me to believe that guys like O'Hara, guys like Freed, even though they're more talented than guys like even Matt Whistler, if he continues to show well uh, and continues to show an improved slider this year, um, even Aaron Blair, if the losing the 40 pounds, affects his pitching the way that they hoped when they acquired him for from Arizona. It leads me to believe that they might start those guys in AAA in order to kind of reestablish some trade value. How are you thinking that pans out? Well, as far as Blair and Blair and Whistler go, you know, they, I think the role they tried for Whistler last year as a long reliever, I think is where you're going to see Lucas Sims settle in. Maybe not immediately, but in the long term, I think that's going to be Lucas Sims's role on this team. Aaron Blair, so I want to see him in the bullpen, see how his stuff plays up there. So if I was, you know, if, if my advice would be probably to start him in AAA and uh, maybe let him try out the bullpen there. But, uh, again, they might want him pitching more regularly as a starter. So we'll just have to see what happens with those two. But obviously ne- neither of those two are likely to crack the opening day rotation. Uh, Newcomb's probably going to be your four. Um, I'm actually going to Lakeland to watch him pitch tomorrow. So, and they're not going to need a fifth starter for a couple of weeks. Uh, so that's giving Gohara more time. Gohara threw his second bullpen the other day. I think I think he's going to be okay, but I think he's going to settle with Newcomb and Gohara, uh, the two lefties. Was Gohara throwing his changeup? I'm sorry. Was Gohara throwing his changeup anymore? This has been bugging me since the season because this is like the one point of contention with him. I haven't, I think I, separates I haven't him. seen him throw. Oh, okay. I, yeah, I, I haven't seen him throw. Uh, I just talked to him after he threw his first bullpen, and he was just saying everything went well. So uh, maybe maybe he'll be able to pitch in a week or two or something. But 
they're, they're, they're being cautious with him, and there's no reason to rush him out there. And like I said, they don't need a fifth starter, so <laughs> whatever whatever they decide to do with that. But I do think that when, when the five is, is filled out, you're going to have your three locks <clears throat> that we've discussed. And by the way, McCarthy looked phenomenal today. All healthy, I mean, him. I mean, uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, Snit was after the game. He's just like, wow. Like I, he, I'm pretty sure even he didn't expect that because he was he was very impressed. But yeah, I think it's going to settle with uh, Nukem and Gohara, and it's a big year for Nukem as far as seeing what this kid's ceiling is. Uh, how much better is the control going to get? Are we looking at Are we looking at just what he is? He's going to be a four or five starter who, you know, that might be better in the bullpen at the back end of a bullpen at some point. Uh, Gohara, uh, obviously there's a little more patience with Gohara. I would think, uh, with him, it's a lot of, it's going to be about conditioning and just seeing him continue to take the steps, man. He looked good during stretches there at the end. And, uh, so I'm, uh, as long as he's healthy, I, I would think Gohara is your guy who's, who's definitely going to be, uh, the guy to watch every, every fifth day in the rotation. Do you think that uh, Freed would wind up in the AAA rotation, or do you think that they'd try and squeeze him into the bullpen for, uh, for the big league club? And, and see, they, they, it's an embarrassment of riches, isn't it? They, yeah, really. They, they've got a lot of guys. I think he's going to start in AAA. I, I, they view him as a starter. They, they called him up to give him a taste <laughs> last year in the bullpen. They, the organization absolutely views him as a starter. At least right now, that they see him as a starter moving forward. Um, so yeah, they're they're going to want to start him in AAA, and I mean, you might be looking at a rotation in AAA with him, Soroka, and Allard. <laughs> um, so she maybe was hold your breath for Tuki. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, maybe you go to some go to some uh, Stripers games. Maybe they'll be worth uh, watching this year. <laughs> I think it's time to get to the fun question portion of this. And this one, this I can't take any credit. This was Doc's personal brainchild. So now this is going to be where you really make your mark on Braves Twitter. This is going to be your baseball takes. People may agree or disagree with. This is going to be where you get loved and hated. Are you ready for this, Gabe? Oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> All right. So we're going to do this kind of rapid fire uh, family feud style. Uh, you can elaborate as much as you want, but uh, I'm already changing up the order of my ask these questions. First question, do you prefer to write on college-ruled paper, wide-ruled paper, or completely unlined printer paper? Mm-hmm. What, are, what are my options again? <laughs> I'm actually getting a <laughs> <the> serious thought. <laughs> college-ruled, wide-ruled, or paper with no lines? I guess college rule. I, 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 yeah, I mean, I guess college rule. Okay, fair enough. Rank the following sandwich meats in uh, order of preference. Ham, turkey, roast beef, pastrami, hot dog. I'll, uh, I'll take turkey. You can have the rest. Oh, come okay. on now. No pastrami? Not, not, even, not even close. Not even close. <laughs> <laughs> All right. The rest don't even deserve a ranking. They're so far behind Turkey. Oh wow! <sighs> I gotta say that was gonna get you a negative response. Oh, Turkey is in good. a tier on its own. People with your bad food takes. Cut me. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Next question: If you were on Jeopardy, what is the one category that you would be devastated if you got the daily double? Oh God! 
uh, you're probably going to have to edit, <laughs> edit, <laughs> edit the time that I'm about to spend thinking about this. Um, like I said, we're doing a family feud style. We can come back to that one at the end if you want. Oh man, God, Any, anything to do with math, man. I can't do math worth the damn. Which <laughs> <laughs> uh, is funny because I'm I'm a baseball writer. Uh, but, uh, I have to like triple check everything I do, uh, and all the all the math I do. I'm like, oh crap! Let me check this real quick. I was an, I was a terrible math student, man. All right, all right. So no no math on Jeopardy for Gabe Burns. All right. Uh, next question: What is the worst movie you've ever seen? God, that's mildly recently. I thought Suicide Squad was awful. I don't think you're alone on that. Margot Robbie didn't make that movie okay for you? No, I told people that Margot, I said it was so bad that Robbie and Will Smith couldn't save it. That tells you how bad that movie was. Just I, I would agree, except just, for Robbie. That's the only reason I didn't walk out of it. It was It was just, it was hard to sit through, man. Like, DC needs to, needs to step up it's very very disappointing it's a bloodbath marvel's destroying it. come on dude. whoa 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 let's not get crazy that <laughs> one might saying. that one's gonna take a little bit more time a little bit later i can't even get into that right now <laughs> i'll i'll leave you you guys to sort that one out on your own after this one um next question if you were reincarnated as a dog what type of dog would you be um I don't know, man. I love my Yorkie, so I guess a Yorkie. I'm a small dude, so I guess that kind of makes sense. <laughs> all right, all right. And final question. This one was tailored specifically for you. Who would you rather fight in a cage match, Michael Bolton or Kenny G? And give a little. You know, um, give a little background. So, uh, I was a sax player um, most of my life. I was. My first major in college was jazz performance. Um, I played in a rock band, and I thought before I entered journalism, I thought that music was going to be my life. So definitely Kenny G, because I, <laughs> I can't stand Kenny G. Um, he doesn't he doesn't know what jazz is. He's not he's really not even that good of a saxophone player. Um, he's wow. got a really good agent, and his marketing team is great. And he's a fraud. You can ask any saxophonist how they feel about Kenny G. We all say the same thing. So yeah, it would definitely be Kenny G because, well, he's he's a fraud. So yeah, definitely him. Okay, well, sub question on that: uh, who who are some of your favorite uh, favorite jazz artists? Oh man, I mean all the all the I mean John Coltrane, of course. Uh, yeah. Miles Davis is great. My favorite, I was like I, I was in a rock band, so I was kind of I leaned more toward being a rock saxophonist. So Clarence Clemens, Jethro Tull, um, uh, Jethro uh, Tull, love. <laughs> like, Clemens was with uh, the Springsteen, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was he was my favorite man. I I loved his sound. He was he was great. May he rest in peace. But he was uh he was he was definitely my idol for a long time. Very cool, very cool. And uh, Dylan did uh, Jethro Tull have a saxophone too? I know they had Ian Anderson. Of course, of course, his name was Ian Anderson. Not a um, not a sax player. They were. Uh, I was funnily enough. I was talking about this with my father today, who's another big musician type of guy. They had flutes. They had violins. They had all sorts of of different instruments. I I called them 
the Alan Parsons project 20 years behind. They were like 20, they were basically Pink Floyd for prog rock. It was, I don't know why it came up. I heard a song from them and, and it just kind of clicked. So I, that was pretty cool that we got to hear all the jazz stuff. I'm not, I admittedly, I'm more blues than jazz, but Coltrane is, is always a phenomenal pull. And the blue, the blues are great too. Any, any sax is good. Like we, it, it started to slow. Except Kenny G. Yeah. Ex- well, yeah, that's true. Thank you for that. Thank you for that. I almost, I almost complimented that dude. <laughs> that might've been yeah, the strongest yeah. take of the night was punch Kenny G in the face. I didn't say I'd do that. I just, no, this is just uh. <laughs> standard cage match rules. <laughs> No, well, that's uh, that is the that was the end of my questions. Thank you, Gabe, for uh, for putting up with that and uh, and being very cooperative and receptive to uh, some of these. I know they were ridiculous, and that was kind of the point. No, yeah, sure, sure thing, man. It's all good. <laughs> I, I gotta say, everybody, I appreciate Gabe. I appreciate you coming on with us. This is the first time I've gotten to interact with you, and uh, I. Mm-hmm. As long as we didn't screw this up too badly, I really I look forward to having you on here again as we get closer to the to the regular season. I can grill you a little bit more on some of these uh, some more of these guys in the main major league camp. Yeah, yeah, dude, sure thing. I I enjoy I enjoy talking with you guys. I enjoy talking with everybody on Twitter. I'm not I'm not a uh, big enough like Dave and Bowman yet, so I, I don't ignore most of the tweets. I mean, well, Bo- I is Bowman Dave really getting asked for his autograph? Yeah, yeah, man. Yeah, I've got a I got a card. Um, Son of a gun! He's, he's got his own baseball card, and one of the one of the Mets beat writers uh, got him to autograph one today. It was great. That son of a gun! <laughs> Talk about living the life. All right, everybody. That is Gabe Burns. Make sure you're following him on the AJC. I promise you will not regret it. Finally, got a young voice coming up there, bringing the heavy leather to the Braves beat writers. Gabe, why don't you tell everybody where they can catch you out on Twitter? The way everybody can start following you, and make sure they're following every every piece you put out. Yeah, uh, I'm at Gabe Burns underscore. It's just one simple underscore because I don't know. Because like when I was what, like uh, I guess I would have been 20 or something. I had a meeting with a LA Times editor, and my at was at so hot at G Burns, which some of my friends came up with <laughs> so, in high school. So you had to change that real quick. Yeah, and he said if you want to be taken seriously in the professional world, you probably shouldn't use the handle so hot at G Burns, which was. You know, looking back, it was pretty good advice. Dude, the, I got to yeah, admit, though, that was a pretty good name. I'm not going to lie. I might have just made a separate one and kept that one. I, did, I, didn't, I didn't come up with it. It's still, my, it's still my Snapchat. But I guess, oh, well, I use my Snapchat more for personal stuff. But I guess if you want to add me <laughs> on there, you can. But, you know, whatever. <laughs> the man, the myth, the legend. Everybody, that's, that's going to wrap up our first episode. Gabe, again, we appreciate it. And uh, we look forward to hearing way more from you in the future. Yeah, sure, man. Thanks for having me on. All right, everybody. We're at that time of the show where, uh, unfortunately, it is time for us to to sign off. Before we go, we always like to kind of give a quick rundown of what we got in that interview and what kind of stood out to us. So, Doc, I'm going to let you lead off. After that great interview with Gabe, what was it? Uh, what was it that stood out to you? I'm just so excited to hear that his thoughts on Mike Soroka. And That's what just, I thought. Yeah, just the the hype that is that is gathering behind him has seemed so real, but you never want to get too excited about prospects because prospects are 
suspects until they prove themselves, but he just speaks in such glowing terms about him. And it seems like everybody's doing that same thing. So, I mean, that's, it's just so inspiring to hear. So I, I just have hoped all along that he was going to be a mainstay in the rotation. And it sounds like he's doing all of the right stuff to, to get to that point. I think I'm actually going to agree with you. That was to me, that was, and Gabe, Gabe was a great interview, but when you got to talking about Soroka, that's, that's at the point where you can tell that that things were different and it's only been one outing and it wasn't a particularly strong outing. But when you hear the rest of the teammates talking about, about this kid uh, and impressing, impressing teammates enough that they're telling the beat writer how much they love that kid. Um, And we've talked about the, the mental makeup I've mentioned before that I don't think he's going to have a lot of the same mental hurdles that a lot of these other guys are going to come through with. I think, that is a great indicator that Mike Soroka may end up in Atlanta a lot quicker than most of us are expecting. I I know I personally was thinking he might end up being a September call up or maybe after the trade deadline, but from the way that he's speaking about him and the way that teams are speaking about him, guys like Sean Newcomb and Luis Gohara better bring their a game because I don't think Mike Soroka is down there to stay very long. Uh, agreed. I <clears throat> I think that uh, that freed from from AAA could be the first man up just because he's a little bit older and he's got the the big league experience. But I think Soroka is coming right on his heels, and I think that once he comes up, that he could stay. That's like, what I was about to say. I think if, once he's up, I think he's here to stay. Yeah. All right, everybody. That being said, it is finally time for us to sign off. Big thanks to Gabe Burns for a an absolutely fun interview. Thank you guys for tuning in. This has been the first episode of the Platinum Sombrero. Doc, that's one of the books. How are you feeling, buddy? I feel fantastic. How are you feeling? I am phenomenal. You ready to get at this again next week and get right back at it? Most definitely. All right, everybody. I know you guys all are, too. Make sure you're subscribing to us on iTunes, on Sound, or on, on CastBox. I'm sorry, not SoundCloud. On CastBox. Following us on Twitter, at Short at BravesHerbert, also at... Hang on, I've got a brand new Twitter handle. Bear with me, folks. At TPS underscore podcast, the Platinum Sombrero. You'll notice us with the nice Platinum Sombrero in the picture that looks like it should be filled with nachos. That said, everybody be good out there. Don't overreact to spring training stats. And Doc, I'm looking forward to talking to you again soon. Likewise, buddy. All right, take care, everybody. Have a great night. Okay, bye. You may find a cushy job and I hope that you go far But if you really want to taste some cool success Get it under play guitar Play guitar